Hello, once again, fans, and welcome to another edition of the CIAC Cast. I am Joel Cookson. Very happy to have you along with us for this championship recap edition of the CIAC Cast. I believe the last time we were with you, we previewed some of the CIAC tournaments before they were about to begin, and now we've just wrapped up a busy weekend of championship action. Only one sport left to go in the fall championship season, that is football. The pairing's coming out a little bit later this week, but we wanted to, before we start m turning our attention towards the uh, the gridiron, wanted to give one last look back at championship weekend. So that's what we're going to do with this edition of the CIC cast, and I believe we may have a record number of guests. I think I always say this, and uh, I've lost track of what is actually the record number of guests that we might have had on the CIC cast, but we've got seven folks joining us uh, on this edition of the CIAC cast. We had seven championship sites over the weekend, and we've got somebody represented from each who is at each site going to offer some of the sights and sounds and thoughts from each of our championship venues. So we hope you will stick around with us for that. We're going to have with us Nick Green of the Hartford Current. Henry Chisholm is going to talk some boys' soccer. Dan Nowak is going to talk field hockey. Doug Bonjour is going to talk girls' soccer. Joe Morelli with the little boys' and girls' soccer. Steve Cusano is going to break down the swimming open. And Mike Mandera is also going to talk a little boys' and girls' soccer. So that is our lineup. We're going to be bouncing around the state. We hope you will stick with us and hear all of the talk about a couple of very exciting weekdays of CIAC championship action. Before we do that, let's very quickly get into things you might have missed and for the most part things you might have missed are championship information all of the uh linked up for the fall championships are all in one place now has all been updated so you can check out linked up fall championship edition that's right on the ciacsports.com homepage. of course we've also got uh all sorts of interesting things from the weekend including uh links to all of the on-demand nfhs network coverage from the championships as well so lots of great championship coverage hope you'll check it out. Also hope to have a few highlights from the NFHS network and CPTV sports coverage up as well on CIACsports.com. As always, as we head into the football pairings, be sure to follow us on Twitter at CIAC Sports, Facebook.com slash CIAC Sports, and of course the Tournament Central link. We talk about signing up for email and text alerts. We encourage you to do that as well. That'll be a great way to stay up to date with all of the happenings in CIAC competition as we head into the tournament season. I'm talking very fast because we've got a lot of guests to get to, so let's not waste any more time. Let's dive right in. Of course, before we do that, though, I do want to send along that reminder from our friends at the Connecticut Department of Transportation. Look, just don't text and drive. Don't drive distracted. It is not safe. You're putting yourself at risk. You're putting others at risk. Press play on the CIAC cast. Put your phone away. Put, use your hands-free device, but really just keep the phone parked. Put it in your center console. You won't know it's there. You won't hear the pings when you get a text message or any other kind of message. Just keep it parked, parked away. It's not worth the risk. One text or call could wreck it all. Please do not uh, get involved in that sort of thing. It's busy enough on the interstates and on the roads as we head into the holidays. You do not want to add a degree of difficulty to your driving or your travels over Thanksgiving or over the holidays, so please keep the phone parked away. That's the message from our friends at the Connecticut Department of Transportation. Let's start things off. We're going to start off with a little field hockey talk. Dan Nowak of the New Haven Register. On the phone with us now is Dan Nowak, who was at Weathersfield High School over the weekend, keeping tabs on the CIAC Field Hockey Championships. And Dan, we uh, thank you for being with us today to uh, talk a little bit about the, the three championship games that took place this weekend. Thanks, Joel. It's a pleasure to be here. It was uh, really quite uh, quite a day for field hockey. It certainly was. Three uh, three one-goal championship games. Let's start off with uh, with Class M uh, as New Canaan, the, the number seven seed, knocks off Joel Barlow, the number one seed, by a one nothing score. What was your uh, your impression, your big takeaway from that contest in Class M? Uh, well, you know, going into the entire three games, I mean, defense was supposed to play a key role, and, and it did in this game uh, – uh, you know, uh, early on, uh, the, the the thing is, it was a tale of two halves, really. I mean, Barlow dominated the first half, mm -hmm. but couldn't come away with uh, with a goal. And New Canaan dominated the playing the second half, and uh, their pressure ended up taking its toll um, with Cameron uh, Dayton uh, coming up uh, with, with a game winning shot. And it was a pretty pretty wild and crazy uh, game winning shot that she had. Uh, uh, you know. 
with about 25 minutes left in the game, uh, she uh, was about eight or nine yards in front of the net mm-hmm. and lofted a high, like, shot like 14 or 15 feet in the air <laughs> and when it came down it bounced uh, just the right way and went by uh uh you know bar the barlow goalie uh tatiana mcclario bounced in and uh, that was the, the game winner and uh new canaan ended up winning one nothing yeah and certainly uh you know a team new canaan that has had some championship uh history but it had been a little while since 2003 their last title so they come up with the, right uh, it was the third title overall yeah right yep so they're uh, they're they're your champions in Class M now. Class S went uh, went back and forth a little bit. Ultimately, Thomaston, uh, the number one seed, earning uh, the victory over Haddam Killingworth. What uh, what jumped out at you in that uh, Class S final? Well, in this class in, in, in Class S, this final uh, actually produced uh, probably the most exciting play of all three championship games uh, combined. Uh, when you think about how the game-winning goal was scored, uh, with the score tied at one in the second half, uh, um, you know HK, you know had the experience and they had some high high-scoring uh, girls uh, on the team. Brinley Anderson came in with a school record 30 goals, mm-hmm. but uh, they just couldn't uh, they just couldn't uh, you know finish in the second half. And yet Megan Sansone had the uh, play of the day. I I believe uh, she grabbed a loose ball at around the 50-yard line and just bolted down the center of the field. She split two defenders. And uh, uh, the thing about Thomaston is they practiced for uh, HK goalie Megan Serino, who's one of the best, you know, one of the better goalies in the state. Sure. And uh, Serino's forte is her aggressiveness and how she comes way out of the net to uh, cut down the angles. And she did this time, too. She came out about 12, 13 yards out of the net to, you know, just to meet uh, Sam- Samson, and Samson just made a, a move, uh, a deke that just got around her, and then she had a wide-open net in front of her, flipped uh, the ball into the net, and that ended up being the game winner to give Thomaston uh, a 2-1 lead. It was Thomaston's first appearance in the state championship game, and so it was her first title, and you know, it was uh, you know, a little bit of a surprise to see you know Thomaston uh, uh, come away with the win with the, all the experience and everything else, uh, you know, that the HK had going for it. But, mm-hmm. I mean, Thomaston played a great game. And, uh, you know, like I said, that uh, that breakaway goal, I mean, they had everybody, uh, had a lot of people on their feet, and it was pretty exciting. Yeah, no question. Really, uh, as you said, nice to, you know, not to, to take anything away from having, had him Killingworth, but uh, to get some new blood in there. And as you said, Thomaston in their first appearance and uh, lots of great stories encourage folks to, to to look for some of the stories about this group of uh, of seniors at Thomaston that's just on a remarkable championship run. They've now earned t- titles in three different sports over the past uh, few years for a very small school. It's really a, an impressive right, uh, right. impressive group. So uh, encourage folks to check that out. And now the uh, the finale of the day. Um, Two teams that uh, certainly are not lacking for experience in the field hockey championships, Wilton and Cheshire. Wilton, which has been a perennial, uh, perennially in the finals, whether in Class M or now this year up in Class L, where they have been uh, a few year times as well. And then Cheshire, which has been a regular uh, a regular um, team in the finals as well. Those two teams uh, squared off. It took to, uh, to overtime before uh, Wilton came away with the victory. What was uh, really the, the story uh, in the Class L final from your perspective, Dan? Uh, well, I mean, uh, you know, a couple storylines here. I mean, uh, uh, Wilton came in and fired up uh, going back to last year. I mean, uh, they lost 2-1 to hand in the uh, Class M final last year, and they they were pumped up this entire season to get back to where they were here to, to kind of make make amends for that loss. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other, uh, uh, you know, on the other side, I mean, Cheshire had, all, you know, has one – you know, one of the top goalies in the state too, with Alyssa Stevens. I mean, she had a, she came in with like 14 shutouts uh, on the year. So I mean, uh, it was expected to be a def- defensive struggle, and, and it pretty much was. Although you know, I, Wilton did pretty much dominate uh, uh, throughout the game. Uh, they led in penalty corners, 14 to two, and actually shots on goal, 10 to two. But like I said, uh, you know, Alyssa Stevens kept Cheshire in the game, uh, and. Uh, uh, you know, Nicole Sansone, the uh, uh, Salomon, rather, uh, uh, defender, on-field defender for Cheshire, also made some big plays. But it came down to, uh, you know, another wild and crazy play, similar to what happened in M. Uh, 
but more like uh, I don't know, if, you know, going, you know, like in, in baseball when a pitcher gets a line drive and just throws his glove up. Look what I found. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's basically what happened here with Jillian Mann, who scored the uh, game-winning goal in overtime. Uh, there was a scramble in front of the right post, and people fighting for the ball. And um, uh, Jillian Mann was to the far left, all alone. The ball scored it out. Came to her stick. She had a wide open net in front of her because Alyssa Stevens and everybody else was towards the right side of the net. She just flicked it in, and that was the game-winning shot. Sometimes that's uh, that's all you need, those little breaks to uh, to go your way. And as you said, they had uh, had controlled a lot of the offensive flow of, of that game and, uh, and earning the, a very deserved championship in Class L for Wilton. Any sort of big, uh, you know, you talked about going in, you expected defense to kind of be the story a little bit. Was that sort of the big takeaway? Or, or what was kind of if you had sort of an overarching uh you know, sort of feeling or, or takeaway from the, the field hockey championships? What might that be, Dan? Uh, well, I mean, I think it pretty much played to the way everybody expected. I mean, as far as the defense uh, went, I mean, uh, uh, you know, all six teams in the finals, I mean, they, they had good goalies. Um, they had, they all, you know, naturally had good seasons. Uh, but they actually, I mean, if you go back and look at the games leading up, the quarterfinals, the semifinals leading up to these games, mm-hmm. all these teams, you know, defensively, uh, you know, dominated, and you know it was maybe a goal or two that uh, you know that, that that actually got them here. So it was more defense than offense. But you know, I mean, uh, you know, the the wild and crazy plays, uh, game-winning plays, and uh, you know, uh, L and M uh, basically, uh, you know, uh, like you said, it's the breaks. Uh, sometimes in these games, uh, you get them, and sometimes you don't, and. Uh, you know the game. The, the teams that won got the got the bounces uh, in those two games, but like I said, I mean, uh, field hockey uh, can, can be a very exciting sport. And uh, uh, you know, Megan Sansom in the uh, class S showed why. I mean, she grabbed that ball in the 50 yard line, and she was she was determined. She wasn't going to pass it. She wasn't going to. She was just bolting down that field. <laughs> and uh, you know, when she got by the goalie, it was like. You know, a sigh in the entire stadium, kind of, uh, you know, to see how she just got around uh, Megan Serino and just got in front of a wide open net to score the game winning goal. Yeah, it sounds like that was the uh, that was the play that's going to uh, to stick with you uh, from this weekend. As you said, really competitive. Uh, first time since 2011 that uh, all three field hockey finals were one goal games. So certainly uh, a big weekend and uh, very competitive games. And Dan, we appreciate you taking a few minutes to wrap it all up for us and uh, enjoyed your coverage. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it. Thanks, Joel. Thank you so much to Dan for being with us. Now we're going to have a first-time guest talking a little swimming open at the uh, the Yale pool over the weekend. Steve Cusano, who covered the event for the NFHS Network, will join us. Very happy to have with us now a, uh, a first-time podcast guest, uh, Steve Cusano, who was uh, providing the color commentary for the NFHS Network broadcast of our Swim Open Championships at Yale this past weekend, a, uh, a passionate member of the swimming community as a coach and uh, a former competitor, and uh, we're really happy to have Steve with us for the first time. Steve, thanks for joining us. Hey, Joel, thank you. Good morning. Good morning to you. So a, uh, a very good uh, conclusion to the swimming championships uh, this weekend at Yale as we had the, uh, the, the open title goes to, uh, to Greenwich. And uh, that's an event that, uh, that Greenwich had really owned for the better part of a decade, uh, quite frankly. And then, but over the past few years had seen uh, their rival, one of their rivals, Darien, uh, kind of swoop in and take it away from them. So from your perspective, what was, uh, what was the key to, uh, to Greenwich coming back and, and, and reclaiming its title as the state open champion well first of all the whole southern border of connecticut is just far and beyond better than the rest of the state you look at darien new canaan ridgefield and all these places if you look at the men's side you got fairfield prep so that's really attested to the feeder programs the usa programs those year-round swimming teams that people go to and these parents and these kids dedicate a great amount of time and effort and determination to mm-hmm. get better. I mean, really the last 10 years you've seen a dramatic shift in the number of swimmers thanks to probably Michael Phelps in 08. So you're seeing a lot of that from Greenwich and from Darianne. And Darianne was one of those newer teams. They kind of had a feeder program that they introduced maybe like seven or eight years ago, a very, very talented program down there. And you're starting to see these people come out of the woodwork. But it was Greenwich's party, and they really did, you know, they out the entire team. There was no one 
standout swimmer from Greenwich that kind of took it like a Maggie McGuire from Ridgefield who just broke so many records, whether it was a 200 free or the 100 back. Mm -hmm. But the Greenwich team had swimmers in the fourth heat, the third heat, the second heat, the championship heat. They were competitive in all the relays. And that, my friends, is what swimming is all about, making sure you have a complete team. It is an individual-based sport, but Greenwich did have the majority of depth. Absolutely, and that depth uh, earned them a, a fairly comfortable victory, uh, earning the win over uh, runner-up New Canaan uh, by more than 100 points there. So at what point in the meet did you sort of start to think, you know, okay, uh, the, the Cardinals have this one in the bag, and uh, it's, you know, it's going to be their, uh, their, their turn to get back up atop the podium? What, you know, at what point were you sort of watching this saying, all right, you know, I think Greenwich is kind of in control of this thing? Well, to be honest, when I was taking notes on the night before and I saw how much that Greenwich won the double L championships over, I think I believe it was New Canaan, since they had won that, I kind of, you know, as a swim coach, if you if you kind of score out the meet, you mm-hmm. kind of know what's going to happen and, and what the final results are going to be. So going into it, I kind of had a bias towards Greenwich thinking that they were going to win. But while I was watching it, I was seeing all these impressive swimmers from other teams like Gary Ann and Ridgefield and New Canaan, you see all these very talented swimmers coming up, and you kind of forget that Greenwich has this powerhouse and this whole lure. So our teams weren't thinking, oh, man, we can't beat Greenwich. They had their teams believing that they could compete, and that's what I really saw. There was no one point during the actual meet where I was like, well, Greenwich has this one in the bag. That kind of came every three or four events when they hand me the results. And I saw, oh, well, Greenwich is up by 20 points, up by 40 points, up by 50 points, up by 75 points. So. Greenwich will do that to you, and they do that on the men's side as well as the women's side. Yeah, no, that's uh, you sort of see that depth just kind of uh, slowly help them pull away. You uh, you mentioned some of the record-breaking uh, performances from the, the young lady from Ridgefield. What were uh, a few other of sort of the individual uh, performances or, or times or swimmers that really stood out to you, uh, either from Greenwich or from, uh, from any of the other schools that uh, were competing? Like I said, as far as individual swimmers from Greenwich goes, there were a few, I don't know exactly individuals, um, but I would say the fact that you, you saw two, maybe even three swimmers from Greenwich all the time, mm-hmm. and the depth is what really had it. As far as individual performances, I mean, you saw the 500 where you had two young ladies go under five minutes in the 500. That's a very, very impressive swim. And what I like to see was people went after it. You saw some people in this, in this championship B relays where they shaved three, four, five, six seconds off their time, and that's just amazing, amazing tapering by the coaches, and you see them kind of live up in the moment. You ever been to Yale before, Joel? I have not. No, I've not been. Unfortunately, it's not an event I've been to. We've got so much going on on that championship weekend. I have not been to the pool yet. Well, the lane, the, the Bob Kippett Natatorium is just, you know, the mecca of competitive swimming. Really, it originated from Maryland, but New Haven swimming is just an amazing, amazing grandfather to the sport where well, Bob Kippis kind of invented dry land training, and they were the number two swimming program this side of the Mississippi for the better part of the early, you know, 20s and 30s and 40s. They kind of revolutionized the sport. So mm-hmm. just being in that moment, and I, can, I can't really imagine it. It hasn't happened since I was in 05 when I swam. But you kind of step into the pool, and I was very lucky to actually swim at the Yale pool, at the uh, Bob Kippis exhibition pool in college when we swam um, exhibition meets against Yale in college. But it is really, it's, a, it's really an amazing pool. It's a beautiful pool, not a lot of pool space on the deck, but the, the board is amazing, brand-new LED screen. The seating is like Roman Coliseum, and it is, you just, you're right there. No matter what seat you have in the house, you feel the energy, and there, it was a packed stadium. Yeah, no. It's uh, every every report we get from that championship is that it's a, a you know really a memorable venue and uh, and produces a memorable championship uh, for the for the kids. So we're very fortunate to uh, be able to host the event there. So Steve, yeah, we uh, you- we appreciate you uh, checking in with us and uh, coming on for the first time and offering your thoughts on the uh, the swim championship. And we know you did a great job with the color commentary for the NFHS Network broadcast. And uh, thanks very much for being with us. We'll hope to uh, to check in with you again in the future. Yeah, Joel, let me know. The uh, men's championships come up uh, in spring, so I'll be around. Absolutely. Great. Thanks so much. Thanks so much to Steve. Really enjoyed having the chance to chat with him for the first time. And now we're going to move along to the action at Berlin High School. Nick Green of the Hartford Current was on hand for the four girls volleyball championship matches. Nick Green of the Hartford Current joins us now to talk a little girls volleyball. Nick was... uh, was stationed at Berlin High School over the weekend, taking in a full day's worth of volleyball. So, Nick, thanks for being with us. 
Oh, no problem, Joel. Thank you for having me. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Happy Thanksgiving to you. You got a uh, a little a full meal of of girls volleyball over the weekend to uh, prepare you for Thanksgiving. Let's start off with the uh, the Class Double L Championship. I know two teams that you're not uh, aren't really in your coverage area, so maybe you didn't know too much about. But uh, what sort of stood out to you from what you saw, what little you saw of the Double L Girls Volleyball Championship as Fairfield Ludlow uh, defeated Greenwich three zero. Um, you know, you look at two, the two, both those teams have, uh, they've seen each other a lot throughout the year, uh, FDAC rivals. Um, you know, the biggest thing that stood out to me just, you know, not only with the double L match, but a couple of the matches here today was just the parody you're seeing. Um, both those Ludlow and Greenwich are the nine and 10 seeds. That's, uh, some of the lowest seeded teams to get to the finals in about seven, eight years in double L. So you're starting to see a lot of parody and, uh, I'm sure, uh, it was a good match, um, you know, two teams that know each other well, but um, from what I saw, you know, it was uh, it should, should have been a good match between two teams who know each other well. Yeah, and uh, Ludlow really capping a, an impressive run, uh, knocking off the their sort of nemesis Darien in the quarterfinals, and then making their way to uh, to earn the championship, as you said, against a team that they're very familiar with uh, in Greenwich. Let's talk about the uh, the L final where you had uh, Platt knocking off uh, Ram, again, two teams that are fairly familiar with each other uh, in the, the CCC, Platt with the 3-1 victory. What was sort of the story in that match from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, going in, I think the, the, the big story was uh, just the rematch of the CCC tournament final, as you alluded to, where uh, Platt won its first, first ever CCC tournament title over Ram. You know, Ram has been the perennial power um, in the L tournament and, and mm-hmm. the CCCs for some time now. Um, so to have those teams get back in, it was uh, was going to be fun to see a rematch. And then um, you have uh, in Ram uh, a very young team, uh, considering, and uh, and then with uh, Platt, a very senior heavy team led by the Puerto Rican transfer uh, Gabby Vasquez, who was just unbelievable. Um, you, everyone has been talking about her all year long, and then to see her come out in that big stage um, when Ram was throwing double and triple blocks at her, and for her to come out still just dominate the way she did. Um, was, was pretty unbelievable to see, considering Rams' sort of pedigree. And even though, again, they were young, you know, that's a, a team and a coach that's been there quite a bit. And Platt came in, composed, calm, relaxed, and they just uh, rode Vasquez, and it was, a, it was a really fun match to watch. Yeah, you mentioned that, uh, you know, maybe a younger Ram team, but coming off uh, the title, uh, you know, the, some of the championship appearances in recent years and then the undefeated season, certainly with a, a lot of great experience. Did you see anything that sort of, uh, you know, the team's – split the first two sets. Did it look like Platt kind of, uh, after winning the first, maybe got a little wobbly in the second? And what sort of uh, helped them right the ship there in the, in the third and fourth and then helped them carry them to the win? Yeah, you know, uh, the thing that really stood out to me as that match went on, um, they, Platt really just kept themselves so composed and so relaxed. Um, I'm on, I was on the sideline there watching, and, uh, you know, Coach Lou for Platt uh, looks over at one point and as uh you know, is giving the mascot, their Panther there, some, some directions. Now, this is in the <laughs> middle of a championship match. Um, I later found out it was his son under, in the uh, Panther suit, so that was, maybe gave a little bit of it away. But, you know, they were just so relaxed, and Coach talked about it. You know, in their timeouts, they, they don't talk about volleyball. They talk about other things, and he says, you know, putting the mind at ease and letting them go play. Um, that's really what stood out to me. I mean, I would have thought, even though Platt was the older team, given Rams, you know, championship you know, experience, you know, they've been in eight in the last nine finals or something, you know, pretty close to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just really impressed with how, like you said, even after that loss, um, they closed out the third set with a 10 to two run towards the end. They just, they just never wavered, even, you know, getting down or, you know, losing that one game. They just stayed calm and composed. Yeah, and uh, and earned a, a victory that had been a long time coming for the, both the program and the school. It certainly was a, uh, a well-deserved uh, championship. And just uh, going backwards for one second, we don't want to uh, – I, I did a little research while we were chatting, and Fairfield Ludlow as the number nine seed is actually the lowest uh, seed since 2008 to win any girls' volleyball title. So that was, uh, as you mentioned, a little bit of parity there in Class AA yeah. with, uh, with Fairfield Ludlow. That was a 12 seed in 2004, but since then the lowest seed to win anything had been a uh, in Class L in 2011, so certainly a little bit of a surprise there. Uh, let's yeah. talk about uh, in, in Class M, maybe the the most uh, sort of lopsided of the finals, but still certainly two very good teams. And, and Waterford was able to come away with a three nothing victory over Ellington. Uh, how were they able to, able to uh, to earn that Class M championship? Uh, you know, Waterford was just uh, a little bit more athletic. They were a little bit more. I mean, it it, it wasn't 
very close, uh, you know, in terms of the the volleyball ability. Ellington was an excellent team all year, and they really fought um, from a tough start. And you know, being a seven seed, that was another school that's you know another lower seed that advanced through. Um, Waterford was just tough, especially defensively, mm-hmm. an excellent defensive group, and they just had a little bit more around the net and, and overall. And it was uh, it was to no shame of Ellington. They they were. Uh, they put up a good fight of Waterford again, just a little too much for him in that match. Yeah, no, and uh, and and speaking of a good fight, we then uh, had the match of the day and maybe the match or the uh, the game of the championship weekend. Uh, Coventry and Lyman Memorial in Class S to uh, to start the day off in a in, a, in quite yeah. a. Uh, quite a way here so you had Coventry winning the first two uh first two sets and then seeming to have everything wrapped up in set three only to see a, a furious Lyman Memorial uh rally and then winning sets three and four and then Coventry rebounding to win set uh set five so a lot to digest in that match but what was your big sort of uh takeaway or, or story from that uh, thrilling class S final yeah I mean just just the swing the swing of emotions and momentum in that one I mean you mentioned um, Coventry up 2-0, and, and then they had five match points in the third set. You know, points points away from a title, and you know, it, it almost looks like you know early that Coventry was a lot like Waterford in uh, in Ellington in, in the next match. But mm-hmm. Co- Coventry looks like they're outclassing them, and then out of nowhere, just with a you know flip of a switch, Lyman wins that match, breaks five match uh, match points in in the third set comes back and wins the next two, and then it looked like there was no way Lyman could lose it. Um, mm-hmm. And then for Coventry, to after that, that big swing of emotions for them and, and all that to go from there to, to on the brink of losing, to for them to gut out a fifth set win was was really impressive, and I think that really spoke a lot to, again, Coventry's sort of championship pedigree that program has. And even though some of those girls haven't been there specifically before, that program's been there, and, and they've done it so many times before, I thought that just really showed and, and their ability to get through that fifth game after all the sort of swings back and forth and, and to gut that one out for their 10th title. Yeah. Did you see anything that really, uh, you know, other than sort of the maybe the emotional, was there anything sort of X's and O's wise or, or did the coaches talk about anything that kind of, you know, adjustments that were being made to sort of keep, uh, you know, as you said, it seemed like Coventry kind of had things under control and then Lyman found some answers and then Coventry uh, found some more answers in in the fifth set. Was there anything sort of tactical or strategic that helped um, swing that or know, was it just kind of the emotion of a, of a championship match? I think the emotion obviously ha- had a lot to do with it, but um, in talking to uh, Coventry coach Ryan Giverson after the game, you know, he, he really thought that coming in that his team was the best defensive team in, in the Class S field. Mm-hmm. And he even acknowledged after the game that Lyman Memorial really gave them a run for that sort of title, if you will, in, in that game. Um, Lyman just really, they, they early on, they looked like they were very rattled. The first set, um, they had a hard time just keeping simple uh, plays in bounds. Um, they just looked a little uncomfortable. And then it seemed like, you know, the end of that um, third set to, to – uh, to hold them off with those five match points to save those. It seemed like their defense settled in, and they just didn't let Coventry kill anything. They just played spectacular defense and kept the ball in the air. And that's what really kept them into it and kept Coventry off their game. And, you know, I'm not sure what Coventry figured out or, or what changed for Coventry, but in that fifth set they did just enough. But it was that fifth set wasn't close or uh, wasn't uh, was a close one you know, as well. That came right down to it as well. Yeah, no, uh, no doubt, and a, a pretty outstanding way to start off a day of uh, of championship action with just a, a thrilling. I think we've had at least one five setter, uh, at least certainly every year I've been at the CIAC in the the volleyball championships. It's a day that, uh, yeah. that really delivers some some outstanding drama, and that match certainly provided it. I think I think this is my third year doing all of them. I think this is also the third year in a row we've had a team go up two zero and have another team either come back and win or at least force a. Uh, Fifth set, and those are always sort of the, the most exciting and, and crazy games to be a part of when uh, and, uh, the other team uh, embraces that 0-2 deficit. Yeah, no question. I, I'm sure if they, uh, you know, as you said, and you don't see even with those comebacks, you don't see many that uh, where a team staves off four or five uh, match points. That that's not a real uh, common occurrence. So kudos no, to it, uh, uh, it was just, you know incredible. You know, every, every time you just thought that um, the Coventry was going to end it because that's what it felt like it was going the way the whole time. Every time, Lyman. I mean, credit to Lyman. That was um, that was incredible for them to to be that close and and you know not pack it in. You know, Absolutely. I mean, you could see if they were if the match points were in a fourth or a fifth game, how 
intense they would be. But to be down 2-0 and, and to that close to the brink, that's, uh, that was impressive. That showed a lot to me. Yeah, no question. A lot of lot of credit to the those kids, and a lot of credit to all uh, all of the uh, the members of the eight uh, finalists and and the four champions. It was a great day of uh, of volleyball. And Nick Green, as always, we appreciate you taking a few minutes to uh, to chat with us about what went down uh, at Berlin High School. So thanks, Nick, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Joel, thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks to Nick for finding some time to chat with us. So we're going to uh, quickly dive into the soccer here. I'm not going to take a pause in between any of our four soccer speakers. We had four championship soccer sites over the course of the weekend, so we're just going to quickly introduce all of them. They will run right in a row talking about the various sites. So we had Mike Madera of the NFHS Network. He was covering the games at Falcon Field. Joe Morelli of the New Haven Register had the games covered at West Haven. Doug Bonjour of the Connecticut Post was on hand at Municipal Stadium in Waterbury and Henry Chisholm covering action for CPTV Sports was at Middletown High School. So all of those four gentlemen will be talking a little boys and girls soccer coming up right now. Mike Madera was at the uh, soccer finals at Falcon Field this past weekend and he joins us now to offer a little bit of perspective on on what went down there as we crowned two champions in Meriden. Mike, thanks so much for being with us today. Oh, anytime, Joel. My pleasure. So let's uh, let's go in in chronological order here. We started things off with the girls' soccer championships uh, in Class M, Northwest Catholic, earning a two nil win over Enfield. What uh, what jumped out at you, Mike, in terms of uh, how the uh, the Class M final in girls' soccer played out? Well, I was very impressed with the way Northwest Catholic uh, a distributed the ball and b played defense. I mean, defensively, I thought one uh, player who really went under the radar in that game was Anna Cronin. Uh, defensively, she was was just a beast back there. Nobody can get anything by her. She really anchored it. And, you know, it, with that, the Raiders really didn't have many quality scoring opportunities. And, and Becky Mullen, you know, she had a relatively easy day. She made some nice saves. But Anna Cronin defensively was the standout for Northwest Catholic. Um, on the offensive side, I, I was very, very impressed with uh, – Bailey Julian, Rachel Elliott, and Mackenzie Tibble, all three of them I thought were dynamic. And in turn, all three of them were involved in the two goals that were scored. Yeah, it seemed that, uh, you know, in catching a little bit of the broadcast, of course, Mike was doing the, the excellent work on the broadcast with the NFHS network. I think I failed to uh, to mention that. But uh, it seemed that Northwest Catholic really got off to a fast start, and, and that seemed to carry them. Was that a key from your perspective, that they just seemed to, to seize control of things from the early going? Yeah, I, I thought the big key was the fact that uh, Rachel Elliott scored early. She scored off an assist from uh, Hannah uh, Barowitz. I'm almost positive. Uh, she scored early, 9.40, I think, to, to go with uh, in that opening half. But the key with that was, I, you know, Enfield never really had a quality scoring opportunity. They never really got going offensively. And then when Elliott scores, you know, it, it almost seemed like Northwest Catholic was like, all right, we got the goal we need now, and, and now – they, they were defensively, uh, the, the word I really want to use was stingy. They did not allow much space at all, and Enfield really had a tough time uh, getting through them. And I thought Northwest Catholic, but they, they played a great game on both sides. Yeah, really a, a deserved championship for uh, for Northwest Catholic in, in Class M on the girls' side. Now, you also uh, were on the call for a, a pretty wild affair in the uh, the Class S boys' final between Summers in Coventry, which uh, went to uh, overtime with Summers prevailing by a 3-2 score. Kind of a back-and-forth uh, contest. What really uh, were, the, were the big talking points for you from that Class S boys final? Well, I mean, Corey Brown, he obviously stood out. I mean, listen, Summers comes into the game, and, and Don and I had talked during that game. I mean, they were in their third championship in the last four years. And, and this group, this group of seniors, uh, when they were freshmen in 2012, they had lost to Bloomfield, but last year they were co-champs with East Hampton, and then they come into this game, and you know Don and I kept on talking about during the game, does that help? Well, with less than four minutes to go, you see a Corey Brown come down off a turnover. He scores with 3.32 to go, and that ties the game at two, and then he gets that PK in the overtime, and, and I thought, you know, the one guy you didn't want at the line with Corey Brown with his 38 goals coming up to take a PK, and he, he just buries it and makes his goal number 39. And you know what? He had excellent opportunities throughout that overtime period. And, and in the final minutes of regulation, he looked like he was not going to be denied. He gets a turnover, and he does what any great goal scorer does. He, he puts it in the back of the goal. So I, he definitely stood out. He, he was he was a solid player. 
Yeah, it seemed like uh, this one, the the, the, mo- the momentum sort of swinging back and forth with uh, with Summers getting the first goal, but then Coventry did show a little bit a uh, little bit of fire and and maybe you know showing that they were gonna to earn it with the the two unanswered goals to uh, to take the lead. What sort of uh, seemed to change and, and spark Coventry before Summers was able to to rally and, and get that late equalizer that you mentioned. Well, I, I think the big thing was, and and again, we talked about during the broadcast was Poitras, John Poitras scores for Summers and, and six minutes into the game, and that gave Summers a lot of confidence. But the one thing to remember was these two teams met during the year, and Coventry had outscored Summers 8-1 to one mm-hmm. during their two victories over them. And, you know, we had said during the broadcast, hey, it's hard to beat a team twice, uh, three times during the season, and the reason being is the adjustments that are made. Right. You go into the half, and, and you see Coventry comes out. Steve Voros, he scores off a corner kick. Uh, with about 19 uh, minutes to go in the game. And then Alex Erskine, he comes in with eight minutes to go, and he scores. So it's 2-1, and you're thinking, wow, Coventry, boy, they, they really have their number this year. And then all of a sudden, it was a, an attempt. It was a rush. It was all of a sudden, little by little, they pushed up. And then that one chance, one chance, then, then Brown goes, and he gets that goal. And it just seemed like from the six-minute, five-minute mark on, where they started to pick it up just a little bit, it just seemed like the momentum was building, and then Brown gets the goal. And then, you know, Don and I felt, you know, once you get that goal, boy, it's going to be hard emotionally to come back in that overtime period. And then when you get, like I said earlier, you get that PK, boy, things are real tough when you have a squirrel like him on the line. Yeah, talk to uh, to talk to several people who are also really impressed with the uh, the goalkeeping. Despite uh, you know three goals and, and two goals, not maybe a game where you would think that the the goalkeepers really stood out. But what were your uh, your thoughts from the efforts from the the gentleman in goal in that uh, that contest? Oh, well, let's, let's talk about Coventry first, and then the reason I say that was Chris Pappas, a junior. Uh, he challenged throughout the day and early on in the game. You know, I thought there was some clear moments that you say to yourself, wow, this could be a, a difference in this game. And the reason I say that is because Brown had come in a couple times earlier in the game. Pappas challenged him, forced the shot. And when he forced the shot, Brown had nowhere to go with it. And so we thought maybe early on, uh-oh, you know, if you're Summers, you got to get those opportunities. But, you know, Brown obviously scores later on. But Pappas, I thought he made some big saves. I thought he made some good choices on the angle to come down and really – stifle this team, but but I think the, the big thing w- was Brody Rowe. Brody Rowe for Summers, he stopped that PK, Jack Gailey, in that first half, and I really thought that that was a huge moment in the game for Summers, and the reason I say that is that was a, a moment where Summers, the eighth seed, could say, hey, you know what, we can win this game. I mean, maybe things are going our way today. You know, you stop a Jack Gailey, who I think came into the game with 20 goals, you stop him on a PK, and, and Brody Rowe, he just did some magnificent work. And I will say one thing. In the latter part of the game, Brody Rowe was faced with looking into the sun mm-hmm. for a good part of, of that period, and he did a, a magnificent job. There were some shots where, you know, when you look at that glare, I, I don't know how he saw but he made some good saves, and he kept Coventry at bay, and he kept them long enough for Summers to come back and get the equalizer. Absolutely. So really two uh, two outstanding uh, championship games. You had uh, Northwest Catholic, uh, a very deserving champion with kind of the suffocating defense in the girls' class M final, and then Summers uh, finding a way to battle back and earn a championship in class S boys. So Mike, thanks uh, t- for taking just a few minutes here. We're bouncing around trying to, to get the stories from each of our soccer championship sites. We appreciate you uh, carving out just a few minutes to uh, to chat with us and offering your perspective. Thanks very much. Anytime, Joe. It's my pleasure. On the phone with us now, our old friend Joe Morelli from the New Haven Register, who is uh, home trying to uh, placate his uh, crying child while also cutting out a little time to interview with us. So, Joe, thank you very much. My pleasure. And Patrick thanks you, too. Right, Patrick? Yes. He's All right. nice and quiet Patrick, now. Patrick is going to provide the insight here, and we're just going to have you be quiet. Yes, better than his father, but go ahead. <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit about the soccer championships at West Haven this past weekend, or the uh, the Glastonbury Invitational. So you had the uh, the girls' and boys' double-L finals at West Haven. Uh, on the girls' side, Glastonbury earns a 5-3 victory over Ridgefield. What uh, what stood out to you in that double-L girls' final, Joe? Well, I have to tell you, I mean, Gil, uh, Glastonbury had come in only allowing four goals all year, mm-hmm. and they had obviously given up more than a goal in a single game. And, and despite the fact you think it's over at 4-1 uh, to one in the second half after Mira Constantino scores her second goal, and here comes Richfield. They score off a corner kick, which is only their third shot of the game, and then they score really late 
like with about five and a half to go uh, on a direct kick, and it's four or three, and all of a sudden, hey, maybe you have an upset brewing here. Right. And then 12 seconds later, Glastonbury scores, and, and you just by, at that point you realize that they're just the better team, and they find a way to win, and and they completed an undefeated season, and uh, one of the top teams in the country, the last rankings I saw, and. And kudos to them because obviously they were the best team. Yeah, what uh, what what really you know impressed you with that group? Uh, as you said, they've they've really put together a pretty remarkable season, capping well, with that championship. What uh, what really sort of uh, seemed to separate them? Look, I, I'm not the soccer expert that some of the people you've interviewed or people can speak to, but uh, they play, they possess they 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 played great team soccer. I mean, they're, they're very balanced offensively. Um, they play a good schedule. Uh, and obviously the pressure of going back-to-back and, and not losing a game, I mean, that takes a lot for, for young girls to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. And they were able to do that, Joel. And, and, and there's a lot to be said for that because obviously everybody was out to get them. Yep. And Richfield had beaten St. Joe's in the FCI tournament final, so they were really good. And like I said, he scored three goals, which was uh, one less than uh, the combined they had given up going in. I mean, that's pretty damn good, but obviously wasn't good enough. And uh, it, in Glassby, it was really impressive in how they played and how they were able to get shots and how they were able to work it on Saturday on the turf at West Haven High School. Absolutely. So, yeah, very impressive. Uh Maybe surprisingly high-scoring final, and then on the boys' side, you had Glastonbury uh, finding the net uh, just before halftime uh, to kind of get things started, and then broke it open in the second half in a 4-0 win over Dan uh, Darien. What was sort of the story of that game from your perspective? Well, I think it was a pretty even game for the most part in the first half. Like you said, uh, Darien keeper was very aggressive in how he um, how he maintained things all year long, and I guess his aggressiveness is what one of the reasons why Darien was in the final with a senior-laden team. But he came out one too many times, made a mistake, and, and, and Glastonbury was able to get in and score in an empty netter. And then they scored three goals in the second half, and I just think they were the better team. And, you know, and obviously, like the girls' team, they I mean, like I said, it's all Glastonbury all the time. It seems like they had a really good year, and they were able to capitalize and finish it off on Saturday. Yeah, no, really uh, another impressive, impressive performance. Any particular... Uh, players that, that stood out to you in that boys double L game that really uh, caught your eye? Not particularly because they're again they were very well balanced. I mean that case today that's why Glastonbury girls and boys were able to win state championships. You have to have balance. You can't just have one person scoring, although it's good for us sports writers to <laughs> to be able to pick out the certain player and the great player of the team. I mean obviously Mary Constantino is the best player in the girls team but she has help and the same with the boys and and obviously they were able to bounce back from their loss in the in the CCC tournament final, but no one in particular. I think they're like I said, they're very well balanced, and I think they were probably they were probably the best team in the state. You can definitely make that argument. Obviously, winning the class double L. Yeah, it was a, a big day for Glastonbury at West Haven, and uh, and Joe Morelli was there to uh, to capture all of it. We will let you uh, get back to your parenting duties. We hear from uh, from Joe and Patrick Morelli. Joe, as always, thanks for uh, taking a few minutes to talk with us. Thank you, Joel, and happy Thanksgiving. Same to you. We are now happy to have with us Doug Bonjour of the Connecticut Post. Doug was on hand at Municipal Stadium in Waterbury, checking in on the girls' Class L and Class S soccer championship games this past weekend. So, Doug, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So the Class L finale uh, featuring St. Joseph's and Suffield, uh, a St. Joe team that you're very familiar with and uh, and soccer fans across the state have become very familiar with as they earned the 2 nothing victory to claim the Class L title. Doug, what uh, what stood out with you uh, in that Class L game? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, St. Joe's, you know, they come in and um, you know played a pretty dominant um, semifinal went over um, Pomprog and they kind of just carried right through there. I mean, they had a number of chances to um, put that game away early against Southfield, um, you know, which was undefeated, possibly missing a few uh, key parts. Um, you know, they missed their chances early, but still they um, got an early goal from uh, Jenna Bike, you know, their top uh, player, and mm-hmm. kind of uh, cruised from there. Um, very similar to when they met two years ago in the... Um, Double L final. Uh, that was a two to one St. Joe's win. You know, St. Joe's outshot them, and um, you know, obviously two goals is um, 
soccer can be deceiving in the end. Um, you, know, you don't see too many. Uh, you see two to one. You don't think they dominated, but you know, really, um, that was the case. Just kind of controlled the match and um, took off from there. So. Yeah, what is uh you know obviously that they've got a lot of talented players. What what has sort of been the from your perspective at a, you know as I said a team that you're fairly familiar with with St. Joe's. What is what sort of has separated them and and made them so good uh over the past couple of years? Is it just talent is it uh you know the way that that talent is sort of uh progresses? What what sort of uh you know you think is kind of the, a little bit of the secret for them in terms of their success? Yeah, I mean, obviously they have um Jenna Bike uh, they like uh, Gatorade State Player of the Year. Um, you know, she was, you know, she's been playing, um, you know, national tournaments and um, headed to BC. So obviously, you know, when you have that kind of talent, you can really lean on, and it makes a huge difference. And like I said, you saw that in the uh, in the L final there. I mean, she got the old early goal, just kind of weaved her way through the defense and beat the uh, keeper on a um, pretty powerful shot and. Uh, a few other chances at the crossbar early at the um, post later in the match. Um, you know, so uh, she has plenty of help too. But when you know, when you have a player like that that can really, uh, that really needs to be keyed on and draws a little extra attention, it opens the field up for everyone else. And um, you know, not it's not to take away, um, you know, any um, credit from her teammates. And she's a, they've uh, you know developed a. Tremendous, um, you know, nucleus there. Lindsay South Coast, she had a goal as well. Um, and defensively, I mean, Leah Lewis, uh, a senior like um, Jenna was, um, you know, strong on the back line. And it, it just self field, um, you know, they, they only, uh, like I said, they're missing a few key parts, including their top midfielder. So yeah. that obviously um, dramatically impacts things. But at the same time, you know, that afterwards, they, um, their coach was saying they just, I mean, their only hope to kind of get through there to crack the defense was some counterattacks. And, um, you know, outside of maybe one chance, that didn't really happen. So, um, you know, just a very well rounded um, well rounded team from, from forward to midfield to uh, defense and even goalie. Um, with uh, Veronica O'Rourke in there, um, obviously, had a shutout. So, in the final, which is. Never a bad thing. No, absolutely not. Yeah, you don't give up any goals. You're going to have a good chance. And as you said, you yeah, know that exactly. that counterattacking, uh, you know, philosophy can can be good, but it's tough when uh, you give up that early goal as well. You know, you sort of get behind and uh, makes makes things tougher. A little bit more mm-hmm. of a of a wild affair in the uh, the Class S final, and I know you were uh, you were on hand for that. May have been working on your story from the Class L game, but uh, at least kind of keeping tabs a little bit on what took place between. Uh, Old Lyme and Notre Dame Fairfield ended with a 2-2 uh, draw in double overtime. So we had our co-champions in in girls class S. What sort of stood out as the as the story of that class S final from what you saw? Yeah, I mean that's just a, kind of a you know kind of steal cliche here, just a tale of two halves. I mean, you know, first half Notre Dame they came out fast. They uh, first day final they come out take a two nothing lead, and you're thinking, wow, you know, here, here it is, kind of. Kind of uh, you know cap this big run, the number eighteen seed, and you know right off here with the school's um, you know first uh, title, and mm-hmm. you know old Lions kind of um, you know again searching for answers early there, not two nothing, and just kind of out of and even second half, um, you know play um, play nearly half the uh, you know twenty minutes there, and still two nothing, and just out of nowhere they kind of. Um, you know, said, uh, you know, better late than never here. Just um, got one goal and got another. And Notre Dame was, at that point, was pretty fortunate just to get to overtime. Um, right. You know, just the, the field just, you know, dramatically tilted there on the final 20 minutes. And, um, so, you know, you, some both teams taking their chances. And Notre Dame uh, had a few chances late to, um, Take the match and hit the post once, and old line did the same. You know, a few chances you, th- you thought someone was going to win there, and just, um, you know, after, after a two to two, it just kind of play just kind of settled, and that was that. Um, you know, it, two teams uh, obviously deserve to be there, both talented, and 
and uh, you know it showed is very evenly matched. Yeah, no, you. Uh, it's always interesting when, as you said, you sort of that you see the momentum and, and kind of energy shift uh, so rapidly. Did you have a have a feeling for what uh, what kind of sparked old Lyme or what seemed to to be the difference to sort of uh, you know to to turn the tide so decisively, as you said, and almost come away with the win, but uh, you know able to at least uh, to tie things up and, and get themselves back in the match. What uh, what seemed to maybe be the difference for you at that point? Yeah, um, I, you know, it's just, it just sounds rather simple, but they just kind of, you know, they just capitalized on their chances. I mean, early on they had a few, they they missed them, and Notre Dame, you know, did not miss. And, um, you know, it was late, they just you know, generated a lot of pressure and um, finally put a few balls in the net. Um, I mean, that, that was bad. They, just a, you know, just a matter of finishing shots. Um you know, getting rebounds, balls that they weren't getting too early on, and mm-hmm. um, you know, just, um, just, like I said, just uh, finishing their chances. Yeah, no, that's uh, sometimes it's just that simple. You know, you're gonna both teams are probably gonna create at least a a handful of chances, and the teams that that finish them off are are probably going to be able to at least uh, get themselves a piece of a uh, of a state championship. So Doug Bonjour yeah. of the uh, the Connecticut Post was on hand to uh, to see two very good girls soccer finals this uh, this Saturday. And as always, Doug, we uh, appreciate you taking a little time to uh, to talk to us about it. Thanks very much. Yeah, thanks. Thanks again. Henry Chisholm on the phone with us now. Henry, uh, not covering his normal beat, was out at the soccer finals at Middletown High School for CPTV Sports this weekend, doing some coverage for them. So, Henry, uh, thanks for being with us, offering a little perspective on what took place at Middletown. Thanks for having me. Always good to chat with you. So you were uh, you were on hand for the Class M and Class L Boys Soccer Championships this past weekend. Let's start with the Class M game. Uh, Tolland comes away with a uh, a 2-1 victory in a highly competitive match there to to earn the M Championship. What stood out to you uh, as sort of the major storylines of that affair uh, in, in Class M? Well, you know, I think they did a, a, just a great job of capitalizing on mistakes and you know, they put themselves in a position to win that one. You know, I was there for CPTV Sports just trying to, you know, get the atmosphere of the game and, you know, how lively the crowd was. And, you know, it was a great crowd for that one. Student sections were were loud. And, you know, it was just it was a great championship atmosphere. But they did a really good job of capitalizing on mistakes to put themselves ahead and, and win that championship. Any, uh, any players that in particular that sort of stood out to you uh, in that Class M final? You know, I think the goalies did a great job on both sides of, you know, really controlling the game, um, you know, and just making it difficult for, for either side to really get good looks at the goal and score. But I think overall it was a great team effort on both on both sides of the ball. Yeah, no, and Tolland able to uh, to come away with the victory and uh, and sort of a nice uh, fun story. Their uh, their coach decided it would be his final uh, final game on the sidelines, so uh, he's able to uh, to earn the victory and then go out with a with a championship. Uh, the Class L final, you had to work a little overtime there in Class L as uh, as Avon was able to come away with the two to one victory, or excuse me, the the. Um, the 3-1 victory, 3-1 victory in overtime. They scored two goals in overtime to, uh, to earn that victory. What, uh, what sort of jumped out at you from that Class L final? Penalty kicks. <laughs> you know, it was the penalty kicks that, uh, that tied it up. I think um, Avon was actually trailing and then, you know, got a, a PK right after giving one up and then tied it at one. And then, obviously, it goes into overtime. Game was very physical, mm-hmm. which is to be expected in the, uh, in the final. The uh, referee got a lot go. And then they uh, finally pulled ahead in, in the uh, in the overtime period, and then got an insurance goal to wrap things up. But they had a lot of close games um, leading up to the final. I believe two of their games going into the final uh, during the postseason were when it's overtime. Right. So, you know, it was kind of playing to their strength almost because they've been in that in that atmosphere before. They've been in that position before, and they were successful, obviously, winning both those games to reach the final, and they're doing it again. So. You know, just their poise, you know, really stood out to me. You know, they they never seemed out of the game, even though they were the uh, they were the 14th seed, I believe, going into that one. Yeah, no, certainly a, a team with a with a bit of a championship pedigree. And I know the uh, the fir- I believe it was the first goal in overtime that Avon scored was a bit of a uh, a bit of a showstopper. Was that a uh, did that did that look as impressive live as it did from some of the highlights I was able to see of that one? 
Oh yeah, it was it was a nice goal. I want to say he had to be thirty five yards out and just put a perfect spin on that ball. Unless it was Jack Keenan, put a perfect spin on the ball and got it in to give them the lead. And I was in the press box because I was down on the field earlier getting video and everything. And I went in the mm-hmm. press box so I could charge up my my phone and my and my laptop. So I'm right. sitting in there with, with Mike Anthony from the current, and we're both like. You know, he, he probably can – I mean, it would make sense to pass it from out there and try to set up a shot. Right. But we're like, we think he can shoot it from there. And he, he let it go and and went in. And I think, you know, obviously when you're playing a game that's that's as physically, um, you know, demanding as that one was, there was a lot of contact and a lot of calls that um could have been made and weren't made. You know, anytime anybody gets – an advantage, you're like, oh, dang, it's going to be tough to get back. But I, I think that was really one of those back-breaking, like, once that one went in, it was like, yeah, I think this one might be over, and they, they, they have this one in the bag. Yeah, no, it's a it's a tough emotional uh, emotional hill to climb when you give up that goal in overtime uh, to, uh, exactly. to to get back to the to the championship. So any uh, any sort of big takeaways? You were there kind of, uh, you know, as you said, gauging the, the atmosphere as well as keeping tabs on the game. Any sort of big takeaways from, uh, from the event, either, you know, in either game specifically or just kind of uh, things that uh, that really grabbed your attention over the course of the day at Middletown High School? Well, like I said, one thing I could definitely say, both students, all the student sections, all four student sections that I saw, you know, were great, um, so great sportsmanship, supported their teams well, uh, got there early, which was nice to see. You know, they got there early and you know, I think it was just a great atmosphere, a great championship atmosphere. I don't remember exactly how many people, but I believe it was like 2,200 or 2,400 mm-hmm. for the entire uh, the entire day at Middletown High. You know, like I said, the goalies. I mean, if it wasn't for the fact that there were two PKs in the in the L final, right. we go into overtime with the score 0-0. Yeah. So the, the defense was great. I know... Some of the fans, obviously, championship games, playoff games, you've got officials on the field, and you've got, you know, 100 or more than likely more officials in the audience. But, <laughs> sure. you know, I like in playoff games and in finals when they let the players play, they let them get physical, and let them decide it on the field. Yeah. So even though there were some chippy plays here or there and maybe some calls that could be made, I don't have any issue with the fact that the referees let the players play. And ultimately, it didn't impact the final score. They were able to settle it on the field in both games. So, you know, those are some of my takeaways from a really good championship Saturday. Yeah, it was. It was a great uh, great Saturday. And as you said, two great games at, uh, at Middletown High School. So, Henry Chisholm, we have chatted with you before, and I'm sure we'll chat with you again as you uh, did a great job for us checking things out at Middletown High School. Thanks, as always, for being with us. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on. Thanks to all of those gentlemen for being with us and covering a very, very busy and exciting weekend of CIAC championships. We crowned a lot of champions, had a lot of wonderful competition. If you haven't yet, I I encourage folks to take a look, see if you can find online John Holt of uh, W. FSB Channel 3 tweeted out a great interview with uh, a young lady from the Platt volleyball team, girls volleyball team. If you want to just get a little feeling for why we uh, put so much time and try to promote these championships so much, you want to try to find the interview uh, with her after Platt won the girls volleyball championship. Just overcome with emotion. It's a beautiful little snippet and hope you'll uh, look that up. It was a great weekend of championships. We really hope that fans enjoyed it all over the state. Really a wonderful culmination of some great tournaments. So thank you all for being with us. Thank you to all of our seven guests for carving out a little bit of time here to chat with about the CIAC championships. I am Joel Cookson. We will be back in just a few weeks covering uh, the CIAC football championships, which are just right around the corner. We hope everyone out there has a safe, happy, and healthy Thanksgiving. Be safe out on the roads. Remember, keep the phone parked away. Have a great Thanksgiving. Thank you for joining us. I'm Joel Cookson. We hope you will join us once again for the next edition of the CIAC cast. <laughs>